Please turn with me to the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 10. I'll be reading from the Pew Bible, uh, the ESV. And so if you have a copy of other versions, just bear that in mind. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 10. Paul Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers and remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only as the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you are able to speak to us this morning through your word. We do thank you that your word is living and active and is sharper than a double-edged sword. Lord, we are living in strange times with strange circumstances, but I do thank you that, Lord, your word is not bound, but it can still be preached to people in our fellowship. And so I do ask, Lord Jesus, that you would give me the right words to speak. I pray, as I always do, that there will be more of your input and less of my effort. I do thank you, Lord, that you are a good God who loves us beyond measure, who has sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to enter this sin-stained world, sin-stained world, to lay down his life for our sins on that cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are God. Thank you for bringing us into the new community that is the church. And I do pray, Lord, that these few words that have been put together, that they would encourage us, they would remind us 
of just how wonderful and how marvelous you are and how privileged we are to be part of your new community in Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me to preach clearly as I hoped and that you would help my brothers and sisters as they listen or watch this, that they will be blessed by your ministry, Lord, not mine, yours. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled uh, today's sermon, uh, A New Community, A New Community. Now, last week, the government launched an NHS volunteer scheme. Uh, it asked for 250,000 volunteers to sign up and donate their time and energy to help over 1.5 million vulnerable people during the shutdown period. And when that scheme was launched on Tuesday, within 24 hours, it had over half a million people. And by today's recording, the number it just keeps on growing. In fact, the government has upped the target now to now looking to something like 750,000 people. And that's how many they are looking for. The amazing response uh, to help the NHS is one of the many ways in which our country is rediscovering the power of community in its darkest hour. It has been amazing to read stories of many people who are offering their services to the homeless, the elderly, the vulnerable, and or just people who are self-isolated. And this desire to help each other reminds us that we are not animals, sort of locked in the Darwinian struggles. No, we are a people created by God with a desire to live in a loving community. That is true for each and every one of us, believer and non-believer. We are not animals. We are people who are created by God with a desire to live in a loving community. And yet, as we think about that, we realize that only a few days ago, uh, before that actually the NHS volunteer scheme was opened, we witnessed something else. We didn't witness a desire to live in a loving community. Rather, we saw people filling up their shopping trolleys. The elderly were robbed of an opportunity to shop. And many people are still struggling to find medicines while others hold a large pile in their homes. You might be thinking, where are you going with this? What's up with that? But what I'm trying to say is that the coronavirus has exposed a crisis at the heart of our individual and collective existence. We all want to live in a community of love and togetherness. We all have that inner desire in all of us. And yet, the evidence also shows that we often live selfishly towards others. There's a reason why the government is asking for volunteers. It is because people who are just next to these people, who live next to them, some of these people are struggling, people are not helping as they should. So on the one hand, we desire to be in a loving community, and, on the, and we see evidence of that. And on the other hand, we see that we are also at the same time a hating community. Love and hate seems to sit side by side in our communities. Why are we like this? 
Why is there this profound contradiction at the heart of our existence? And what is the answer to this dilemma? Well, the world has no answer to this question. It doesn't know why we have this profound contradiction within us. But as we open the Bible, we see that the Bible has an answer to this problem. The Bible says God created us in his image and he placed us in the Garden of Eden to live in a perfect community of love with him as our father and with each other. But the Bible also goes on to tell us that our original parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They rebelled against God. They decided to cut themselves off from the loving life with God. And so what happened is that after our rebellion against God, God placed us under curse. He ejected us from the Garden of Eden since we didn't want to live with him. And soon after, we started turning in on each other. You see, that vertical relationship we had with God, once it was severed, in the end it didn't take long for that horizontal relationship to also be severed. We remember Cain killed Abel. And since then, the community we long for has always eluded us. All of us live with this deep longing to recover that community we lost. And everything we do in life about trying is all about trying to get back in the Garden of Eden. But that quest continues to elude us. You see, because we cannot do it on our on. The Bible says the new community, the community of love that we yearn for, does not come from our initiative. No, it is engineered by God. The new community, the community of love that we long for, comes from God's action uh, in a particular place, in a particular time, and through a particular person. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the creator God himself entering and walking through the pages of human history and he has come to create a new community of faith, love and hope. And this new community of Jesus is called the church. That's what the church is. The church is not this chapel. No, the church is a new people purchased with the blood of Jesus. A new people that belongs to our Lord Jesus. A new community. And this morning, I wanted to take a pause from our series in Mark just to remind you about what this new community is. I want to do two things, actually. First, I want to encourage followers of Jesus in our fellowship to be thankful for this new community we have in Christ. And to actually work flat out for its advancement here in Bexley If and where you, some of you live, those of you who do not live in Bexley If. Secondly, I want to invite all who have not surrendered their lives to Jesus 
to do so. I want to encourage them, you to become part of this new amazing community in Jesus. You see, the church is the only game in town. Because it is a God thing. It is God at work creating this new community we call the church. And you need to be part of this. When you are at the heart of God's purposes, you are also brought to be at the heart of the church. So I want you to enjoy life with God, to come to know him. And that, of course, means being part of his new community. So that's the two things I want us to do. Now, to help us do this, please look with me at that passage we just read, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 10. Paul wrote this letter to a new church plant at Thessalonica, a church that he and Silas had planted. And in this first chapter, Paul gives thanks to God for the Thessalonians, these young believers. And as he gives thanks for them, we learn some profound truths about the new community of God. And in particular, Paul tells us three things I just want to share with you this morning about what the church is. The first thing we learn in this passage is that the church is a new community in Jesus. The church is a new community in Jesus. Paul starts this letter by reminding these new followers of Jesus that they are not like everyone else in the city of Thessalonica. They are now the church of the Thessalonians. Look at this one. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church, he says there. The word for church is ecclesia, which means an assembly or called out ones. In verse 4, Paul says, For we know brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen or called you. God has called them out by his love from the sinful mass of humanity, from all sorts of backgrounds, and made them his new community in Thessalonica. Now, the world is full of communities. We hear a lot in the news about the Islamic community, the LGBT community, the flat F community. And I was excited to discover that there is even a Star Trek community. That's the sort of community I'd love to be a part of. People who live like we are in the 24th century. I'm very tempted to join them. There are many communities. So, so what makes the church special? We have to ask that question. There are so many communities. What makes the church, this new community that God is creating, special? Well, what makes the church special from all other communities is that, according to Paul here in the scriptures, the new, it is a new community that lives in our Trinitarian God. It lives in God who is three persons in one. Look at verse 1. Paul says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in what? In God the Father, the first member of the Trinity, and the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second member 
of the Trinity. Let's jump to the last verse in verse 10. Paul says, and to wait for his son, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, God the Son, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Look at verse 5. He says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in what? In the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. In God the Spirit. So Paul here has fleshed out that this church that he talks about in verse 1 to the church of the Thessalonians in God, it is a church that actually lives in God the Spirit, in God the Father, in God the Son. It is a church that lives in the Trinitarian God of the Scriptures. Now this is quite a claim, isn't it, to make about members of Thessalonica Baptist Church, a young church, few months old and under persecution. How can Paul be so sure? How can Paul make this outstanding, amazing claim that this church at Thessalonica draws its life, its nourishment, its growth, its protection from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. How can you be sure about that? Well, look at verse 1. And verse 1 is the answer. We can be sure about that because of Jesus. Verse 1 says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Notice that Paul says that the followers of Jesus live in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what Paul is doing here is that he's putting God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord, together. And by doing that, Paul is effectively saying all followers of Jesus have life with God because of who Jesus is. And what Jesus has done. In fact, just the name Lord Jesus Christ fleshes out that theology. Jesus is the Lord of all. He's God himself. Jesus is our Savior. You shall call him Jesus because he shall save you. He shall save you from your sins. And he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. The chosen one. So, so by putting this to God the Father and Jesus together, Paul is reminding us that we have life with God because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. The person and the work of Jesus. Jesus, you see, is God dressed in the robes of human flesh who died for our sin on the cross. And he rose from death to give us new life in God forever. The good news of Jesus is that anyone who turns from sin and surrenders their life to Jesus immediately become part of this new community of God. This new community in Jesus. Now the BBC reports that there is a, an increasing trend in Western countries of people choosing to marry themselves in symbolic ceremonies. And all sorts of businesses are propping up, catering for this bizarre trend, which I can only imagine at the moment has been frozen by the shutdown. But prior to the shutdown, all sorts of businesses were propping up to cater for this. 
It raises a question, doesn't it? What motivates someone to say yes to themselves? Well, one expert who has weighed over 1,500 people says this. He says it is mostly about self-love. Well, <laughs> no surprise there. She says about 80% shed a tear reading their vows. They usually say things like this. I forgive myself and I will no longer call myself ugly. Well, that is a brave new world of self-marriage. In fact, this is called sologamy, and that's a technical term for this new trend. Well, if you are a true follower of Jesus, you see, you are not married to yourself. You are not on your own. Being in Christ is not sologamy. No, being in Christ means you are now a new member of a new community in Jesus. A new community that connects you to the Trinitarian God and a new community that connects you with other brothers and sisters that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And you are in this new community not because of anything you have done, it is all because God, out of his love, chose you before he created you to be his own. He chose you to be in Christ, in Jesus, in this new community. Look at verse 4 to verse 5. Paul says, For we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul is saying if you belong to Jesus, your life with God has been in the making before the universe was created. You are the reason why Jesus came on earth. Jesus, you see, came to turn God's choice of you into reality. To bring you home to God as a chosen member of his new community in Jesus. As a bride of Jesus Christ. God chose you to be in this new community not because of anything you have done. You did not even exist then. God did this before he even brought the universe into existence. He chose you as a pure, sovereign, loving act of God. Now, the coronavirus is making us feel, as individuals and as a society and as a church, feel very small. We can see that we are not in charge of our lives. We feel anxious about our future. What will happen to my school? Where will I find work for those of you who have been let off? Will I catch the virus next week or tomorrow and be added to the ever-increasing pile of statistics? Will my loved one, who is unwell at the moment, end up catching the virus? And as a fellowship, we are asking the question, what is the future of this church? There are many thoughts and situations flying around in our, mind, in our minds at the moment. 
circumstances, they are making us wonder whether we matter at all in this world. What God is saying to each one of us this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life is not a small thing. You are not an accident. No, you are chosen by God to be part of his new community. You are the most precious creation in the universe. Why? Because God has set his eyes on you as his very own in Jesus. And he did this before he even created you. And most importantly, no matter what happens in this world, Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never abandon you. You are in his new community because of his grace, not because of your own work. Whatever we make of the coronavirus and the shutdown, the lockdown, it is that God will keep his own, his people. He will keep us because we are his new community in Jesus. Because our lives in this world does not depend on us. No, it depends on the divine omnipotence of God. And I just want to say to those of you who have not yet come to that position of surrendering to Jesus. You've heard many sermons in our fellowship, but you still haven't come to that full surrender. Well, I just want to say the world has no future to offer us. If the coronavirus shows us anything, is that this world is not enough. You are not enough to keep yourself. Our attempt to, create, to craft life for ourselves, our attempt to craft community for ourselves, are doomed to fail. And so why live for ourselves? When God is extending to you this wonderful invitation to come into his kingdom, to be part of this new community, to give you a future with him, not a future far away from him in hell, but a future with him. That's what he offers you in Christ. And so this morning God is inviting you to surrender to him, to come to him in true repentance, to acknowledge that you are a sinner, to tell God that you repent of your sin and surrender your life to Jesus. To tell God, look, Lord, I have nothing in my hand I bring. Only to your cross, only to your death on the cross in Christ for my sin. I'm relying only on Jesus to save me. Tell God that you repent. You are tired of running your life. You now surrender to God. And you're asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins. The death of Jesus, you see, is a ticket you and I need to be in his new community. So trust in the death of Jesus for your sin, not in your own goodness. Come to Jesus and be part of his new community. And if you do that, if you turn to Jesus this very moment, you will be part of his new community. You will be part of his church. The church is a new community in Jesus. That's the first truth we learn from this passage. And because we are in Jesus, we must now go on to do life with Jesus. And that is the second truth we learn here. 
The second truth is that the church is a new community with Jesus. Now, I don't know for those of you who are around, in 2008, news broke that Elizabeth Fritzel had been held captive for 24 years behind eight locked doors in a concealed basement in Austria by her father, Joseph Fritzel. And during her imprisonment by, her by, by the father, she had given birth to seven children. Four of the children lived with her mother in captivity. They lived in this prison and never realized that there was an outside world. We might say they were in permanent lockdown. Their slavery was just a normal part of life without any need for escape. As I think about the story of Elizabeth Fritzo and the children held in captivity in Austria, I think that is a picture, I think, that, that, that Paul is trying to convey here about how the Thessalonians were before Paul and Silas visited their city. They lived under the powerful slavery of their idols. But then they heard Paul and Silas powerfully proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then as they responded to the good news, the Lord Jesus invaded their lives and broke the chains of sin. And he set them free from their idolatry. He set them free from their sin. The power that sin had held over them. Look at verse 5 there. Paul reminds us what happened. He says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Then we jump to verse 9. Paul says, For they themselves, other people, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, the Thessalonians have been transformed by God the Spirit we see that in verse 5, into a new community that lives in Jesus and walks with Jesus. They have a new energetic faith that just keeps on going like Duracell batteries. Look at verse 3, verse 2 to 3. Paul gives thanks to, the, for, to God for this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, and labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying the presence of Jesus in these Thessalonians has enabled them to serve Jesus with love to the point of weariness beyond fatigue. That's what literally verse 3 means when he says, and the labor of love. They are working for the Lord, not out of compassion, compulsion, but they are working out of love. For him. The love of Jesus is transforming them from inside out. They are walking and talking with Jesus. They are walking with Jesus patiently and enduring all kinds of suffering and hardship in their lives with a joy that is plain for everyone to see. Look at verse 6 to verse 7. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 
For you receive the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. Wherever they are and in whatever circumstances they find themselves in, the Thessalonians' number one mission in life is now to tell everyone they meet, everyone they know, about the Jesus they love. Look at verse 8. For not only as the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, like a trumpet, we might say, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. It has sounded forth in gospel stereo, we might say. So that they need not say anything. Everybody's heard about them, so that we need not say anything. Everybody has heard the gospel because of the Thessalonians, that even Paul and Silas and, and Timothy, they've pretty much been put out of work. Because the gospel that these Thessalonians have received has transformed them. They are not only in Jesus. They are now on the move with Jesus. This is the new community of Jesus in action. A new people in Jesus and with Jesus. A people that walks and talks Jesus each and every day. And beloved, this is God's design for us today. Coronavirus or no coronavirus. Social distancing or no social distancing. Digital or analog. Jesus is saying to you today, this lockdown is not an excuse for not doing life with me. I want you to walk and talk with me. I want you to walk and talk with you through it and for my glory. Jesus is saying, I have ordained this situation because I have decided it is the best means for me to reach people I have placed in your life with my good news. Jesus is saying, take me to your children who are now spending a lot more time with you than, you, than they've done before, perhaps, because you've been just been so busy with other things. Jesus is saying, share me with them. Jesus is saying, take me to your spouse or your son who you'd love just to have hours and hours with him, and you haven't been had the opportunity to do that, but now you do. And Jesus is saying, remind your husband, remind your son of my love and care for them. Jesus is saying, take me to your next door neighbor who, um, who is rejected by this society. Yes, you are, go to them two meters apart. Remind them that I am the one they yearn for. Speak over the fence with them. Yes, at the moment this week, they, they are happy perhaps just to be by themselves. They've never had so much time for themselves. But two weeks, three weeks, they want to talk. They will want to speak. And Jesus is saying, be ready when they yearn to talk. Jesus is saying, take me by email to the gay colleague at the office that you know still needs to hear about the love of Jesus. The shutdown hasn't changed that. Yes, you can't see them in person, but you can correspond via email. Jesus is saying, let me minister 
to her through you. Jesus is saying, take me to... Jesus is saying, take me to your friends through the mobile. Pick up your mobile. Call someone on the fringe of church life. Let me talk to them through you. Encourage them to look to me. Encourage them to cry out to me. Pray with them over the phone. Jesus is saying to each one of us, now is not the time to wallow in self-pity. Oh, beloved, now is not the time to waste energy on endless conspiracy theories. Jumping from one YouTube link to one Facebook link. Now is not the time for that. Now is the time for us to be like the Thessalonians. Oh, look what Paul says in verse 53. We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Now is the time for the work of faith. And the labor of love. Now is the time for us to be spent and be spent for the gospel. And now is the time for the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep our eyes firmly on Christ. And now is the time to get on our knees like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And beg Jesus to, 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 for other believers. And to beg Jesus to use us to share him with others. People he has placed us in our lives. To use us in our struggle like the Thessalonians in verse 6 to 8. Look at that. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction. Now is the time for God to use our struggles right now for his glory just as he used it for the Thessalonians. Now is the time for us to show the joy of the Holy Spirit. To allow God the Spirit to work this joy in us in the middle of affliction. In the middle of the struggles of the shutdown. They say it says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and care, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Well, the internet should enable us to do that, shouldn't it? Now is the time when we are on Facebook, when we are in Twitter, when we are on Instagram, to showcase the gospel, to allow the gospel of Jesus to sound forth from us. Moving away from the trivial, focusing only on honoring Christ. What a testimony that the Thessalonian church has. And that is what the church is, isn't it? The true church is a new community in Jesus that walks and talks with Jesus. A new community in Jesus. And it's a new community with Jesus, as we've seen. And here is a, briefly the final truth we learn in this passage. So, first of all, the church is a new community in Jesus. The second truth is the church is a new community with Jesus. And the final truth is this. The church is a new community for Jesus. It's a new community for Jesus. That's the third and final truth. You know, when we turn on the television or log on to Twitter... We see all kinds of things taking place in the world. Half of the world, as, we, of, as of this morning, half of the world is on lockdown. And in recent years, the world has faced huge earthquakes, floods, typhoons, heat waves, 
pandemics like the one we have now, hurricanes, tsunamis, droughts, wildfires. We've had locusts in East Africa. The question all of us are asking, living in these times, is quite simple. Where is the world going? Where are we heading to? What has the future hold for all of us? Why are all of these things happening? Well, we don't know the answers to these questions. We can't be sure. We are not prophets. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you do know the broad answer. And the answer is this. Your future has already been written in the Bible. In fact, the future of the world is already in the Bible. Throughout the Bible. And we see it clearly here in verse 9 and 10. Look at verse 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What Paul is teaching us here is simply put, simply put is this, that human history is linear. It starts from the moment that God created the world, the universe. And it's working up all that way and to that point when we read in verse 10, when Jesus comes from heaven. Paul is saying all events in human history are drumbeats marching us forward to that great day when the Lord Jesus comes in splendor and glory for his new community, the church. And this is true for all events in our lives. They're all just marching us forward to that. It's true for the event that we are in now. We are all moving forward to that day when Jesus comes. We are all waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming, beloved. And what a sight that will be when we see our Lord Jesus face to face. When Jesus descends in the crowds, in the clouds of, angel, of heaven. Oh, it will be a beautiful sight to see our Lord descend from heaven. We have seen many beautiful sights in our lifetimes. The beautiful faces of spouses and children and grandchildren. We have seen beautiful landscapes, coasts, islands, sunsets, and all kinds of beauty. But none of that will compare when Lord Emmanuel descends in glory. When we see Jesus face to face. To see him who was pierced for my sin. Can there be a greater sight than that? To gaze into the eyes of eternal beauty. And the Bible says that the moment I look upon Jesus, that moment when we look upon him, we shall be transformed to be as he is. But that very moment when he comes down from heaven to see Jesus, oh, what a sight it will be. As Jesus reaches out with his warm, nailed, scarred hand of flesh and welcomes us in into the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, what a joy it will be. 
to see our Lord in such splendor and glory. It will be a sight like no other. And the best part of it, isn't it, is that we'll get to live with Jesus forever. Oh, can you imagine waking up every day to see the face of Jesus? We won't have to sleep and wake up. Because there will be no day and no night. It will be complete Jesus himself being the light. There will be no need to sleep. We will forever and forever be with the Lord. Basking in his love every day. Oh, it is beyond imagining. And you don't need to imagine. Because if you are in Jesus, you'll be there, fitted with a new body, custom made from heaven. You know, the old Negro spiritual says, Oh Lord, I want to be in that number. When the saints go marching in, well, if you are in Jesus, you will be among that number. You will be there, in Jesus, with Jesus, and for Jesus. See, like all churches, we are living in this unprecedented shutdown, which has come about as a result of the coronavirus. We can no longer share the bread and wine. We can no longer hear the singing of hymns in this chapel. We cannot hold each other's hands and cry out together before God. We cannot use our baptistry over there. If somebody was to make a profession of faith now, we wouldn't be able to baptize them. The current situation is discouraging. And yet this passage is not only reminding us that the Lord himself is sovereign over all of these things. He's doing much more than that. He's telling us, fix Grace Baptist Church, Bexley Eighth. Fix your eyes, not on what's happening, but fix your eyes on the big picture. And the big picture is, is that we are a new community in Jesus with a great future. A future that does not depend on any of us. No, it depends on God. He alone has made us a new community in Jesus. With Jesus. And for Jesus. We do not know how long this shutdown will last. We do not know whether this is just one of many balls of wrath to vi- that will visit us in the future. We don't know. Perhaps the dark days are just beginning. We do not know. But we do know this. We know we are a new community in Jesus. With Jesus. And for Jesus. We know that we are his new community in this world today. We know we are his, and that is at work among us. And beloved, this is not just theory. During this government shutdown, we are still seeing our new community of Jesus in Bexley Eath in action. We have seen it in this past week as we have stayed in touch to swap prayers over WhatsApp and email so that we can pray for one another in the different situations we are in, whether we are, we are in Ghana as some of our member is or we are here. 
We have seen it as we have gathered over Zoom to study the Word of God together. We are hungry. We have never been more hungry to hear our God speak to us. We know that His Word is life. We have seen it as we pick up the phone to call our elderly saints and single parents in the fellowship and check up on them and see how they are getting on in these difficult times. And we are seeing it in our homes, aren't we? As our families open the Bible after an evening meal and study the Word of God together. As each of one of us in our own homes pray for the wider fellowship needs in the church. Beloved, we are distant from one another, yes. It may take a while before we meet again in person. But these and many other small things are all part of us as a church. The body of Christ that God has placed in Bexleyith, living out as a new community in Jesus, with Jesus and for Jesus. And may the Lord be pleased to continue in weeks to come to remind us through the preaching of his word of who we are and whose we are. We are the new community of Jesus. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I do pray that you would use the word that has just been preached to encourage and strengthen the church, that you would help us, Lord, to be thankful for all that you have done for us in Christ. I pray, Lord, that we would not be lazy in weeks to come, but like the church at Thessalonica, we would practice a labor of love that would give ourselves for the gospel. And I do pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to those that haven't yet come to that position of true repentance. I pray that at this very moment, as they watch or listen to this message, that they would be transformed. Having been convicted of sins, they would repent and be transformed, given a new heart, and, and, and be transformed by the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for serving sinners. In Jesus' name, amen.